If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 uh, this morning. So you can go ahead and make your way there. Uh, we'll be studying verses uh, 15 through 17 uh, carefully this morning. Just a couple of things. When is the last time that the um, last day of the year was a Sunday? Does anyone know? I, someone can find out maybe, but um, it seems kind of special. And I don't remember... Uh, at least personally, when that last time was. And it just seems great to be together, to gather, um, to hear from the Word of God, to sing together. Um, and, and, you know, one of the, it's a special thing that we get to do to come in and sing and worship together. I love it. Um, you know, just, just a couple of thoughts about that real quick. You know, there, there are uh, some of you that I know whether you're here or not. You know, it's like you check in with your voice on Sundays. You know, it's like attendance. It's like, oh, that person's here. Praise God. You know, not that we're taking attendance, but I'm just saying it's encouraging. Um, it's encouraging to hear voices from across the room worshiping the Lord. I was talking once with um, a very well-known like songwriter, worship leader, part of the passion movement. And I was asking him some of his testimony and he was telling me, that there was a time in the middle of all of his career when things really fell apart in his personal life and his family. And he, uh, he like walked away from the church, not away from God, but he just couldn't do it for a season. And he said that he sort of like walked back into a church, not even the one he was part of, but a church that he knew of and kind of slid onto the back row. This is a, a well-known worship leader of thousands. And he's broken down and he's like, man, so dismayed and discouraged. And he told me, he sat on the back row and some like burly, like Harley riding Christian man was sitting there next to him. And during the songs was just singing, Jesus commands my destiny. And he said that that, that hearing the voice of this other, this brother in Christ singing over him as he sat next to him was God speaking to him more than any sermon he had ever heard. And it was life-changing to him. And just think about that, like the power of, the, the, of congregational singing and worship and how we can encourage each other when we sing loud, when we sing with conviction. Um, so just we're going to come back to a verse about that in this passage this morning. But just a couple other housekeeping things. I'm going to get into the sermon in a second, but it is the last day of the year, and I just want to say a few things. Um, Fellowship Connect next Sunday was mentioned. Um, also fellowship groups are starting back up and that is like small groups. That is time to do life in a circle, not in rows, right? To do community, to do life together. That's starting back up the week of January 14th. So, so definitely make a note of that. Um, we have, uh, several groups. We have many all over. You can go to the website to get info or the, the info rack in the lobby, but we have one new one that's starting. It's going to be on Sunday afternoons led by Dave and Jennifer Wagner. And it's going to meet here at the building. Uh, so if you're not in a group or you need a new group at a different time, I just encourage you to get information about that new group. Um, if I could be in two groups, I'd be in that new group too. So um, let's, uh, let's look to fellowship groups as a way to grow in this new year. Um, what else? How else could we be thinking about growing in the new year? I know, reading God's word. And so I want to let you know, Bible reading plans are available on the Connect counter. This is a five-day-per-week Bible reading plan that in a year, if you do five days out of seven days of the week, you'll finish the whole Bible. I just want to let you all know that if I read like 20 chapters this afternoon, which I am planning to do, 
I will finish this plan. <laughs> um, and I started it two years ago. But, I, but I'm being real right now, and I actually think that's okay, and I want you to know that it's okay for you too. Like it's, that's how it is. The key is just getting in God's word day after day. It's not about finishing your plan. I mean, if you can, great, do it. Like, I'm not discouraging that. But that's actually what I like about this plan is it doesn't uh, bind you to a day. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I didn't do the January 1 once. And then you just rip it up. And you're like, I'll start in 2025. That's fine. Um, no, it's not like that. It's just like you just check them as you go. So you can take one year. You can take five years. It's just up to you. So these are on the Connect counter. I really like this plan. Um, so I just want to encourage you with that. And uh, lastly, uh, we already prayed over the offering, so it might not be okay to say this, but I did want to mention this is the last day for a year in giving, um, and giving is one of the ways we worship, and I just want to encourage you that, that we had told you as a church family that we rely on generous giving in December to kind of make the year finish strong and the next year start strong. It's, it's a thing in church. And we are, you know, we are partners in the gospel together, and it's a real thing. Um, and as we're all generous together, some can be very generous, some can do what they can do, but all together, it's just an amazing thing to see what a church can do. And um, so anyway, I just want to tell you that December has been great. There's been great generosity, and so you all have really responded to that, so thank you. There have been many year-end gifts uh, from people, and I guess I just want to tell you, you have for the rest of the day to, to keep doing that. And so just be encouraged, though, that 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 call was answered. And so more to come maybe on kind of sharing the final numbers of that later. Um, so let's, let's jump in. Ephesians 5. Wait, let me see if I have another announcement. Just kidding. Um, all right, we're going to jump in to Ephesians 5. So we're still in Ephesus. You know, we were in the book of Acts. It brought us to the city of Ephesus, and we sort of camped out there. We've been looking at passages related uh, to the city of Ephesus. And Ephesians, of course, is. And I want to take us now to Ephesians chapter 5. And you've maybe heard of Ephesians chapter 5 because it's sort of a well-known passage. There are some verses in there about marriage. Um, and, and often if you go to a wedding, you might hear verses from this chapter in God's Word. But I want you to know that Ephesians 5 has a lot more to say to us than truth or encouragement about marriage. In fact, if you were to look just at this chapter, verses 1 through 2, starts out with, with the Word of God telling Christians that they are beloved children of God and they are to imitate their father. So just think of kids imitating their parents and that is us, that's to be us imitating the Lord. And then it goes on in verses 3 through 7 of Ephesians 5, and we're encouraged to live a holy life. That's the part of God's word where it says that certain kinds of unholiness should not even be named among the saints. Ephesians 5, 3 through 7. And then in 8 through 14, there's this, these statements made to you and to me as Christians that we are the light of Christ. Verse 8 says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord, walk as children of the light. So that's like an identity statement. You are light as a follower of Christ. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them with your light. And so just think about that. That's what is being said in Ephesians 5. 
And I'm telling you that, I know we haven't been studying Ephesians, but I'm telling you that because I don't want to just jump into verse 15, but now we will. But think about it. You know, we, we had Christmas Eve a week ago, and we did the candle thing. And churches do this candle thing, right, where we, we light the Advent candle, and then we pass it all around. It's the only time and the only place, probably anywhere, where, like, children are allowed to just hold fire. And, but it's a beautiful, like, thing. You know, we, we pass the candle around, and we say things, and we talk about things like, wow, you know, Christ is the light. He's come into the world, and he's, he's you know, given me light in my life. These are all profound and true things. And then we pass it around and we go, look, look, all together, we're a big bright light. And then we say things, and I said these things, I'm not making fun of it, but I'm just saying we say things like, we're the light, we're the light of the world. Christ is the light, he's given us light. We say all these things. And I want to show you in verse 15 of Ephesians 5, because Paul, as he's writing to the Ephesians, it's kind of like, they're excited about being the light, and he's telling them that you are light. And then he says, but don't forget to shine that light on your own life too. You know what I mean? Like, don't forget to use the light. You're not just to go light up the city or light up the world or be a light in the community. You are. But make sure you shine the light on your own life. Isn't that good to remember and think about as we go into a new year? So so after eloquently telling the Ephesians about being light, he essentially says, you make sure you really use this light to carefully and practically look at your own walk with the Lord. You think about this. um, Do you take your own advice? Are you just a light to others or do you shine that light on yourself? You know, why is it that people who own car detailing businesses always drive cars or vans that look horrible? Why is it that lawyers are always having legal problems? Why is it that Will Smith in the movie Hitch has terrible personal dating practices, but is a celebrity of giving other people dating advice? Why is it that King Solomon could be so wise and write the Proverbs, and give so much advice to others. And yet the downfall of his very own kingdom would be because of his own foolishness. That's called the Solomon paradox. And so it's so important that when we consider being the light of the world and having the light of Christ and shining the light of Christ to the community and exposing darkness with light, that we use the light in our own lives. Essentially, and this would kind of be our outline this morning, if you have one of those handouts, the insert, our outline this morning would be three points. The title, Walking in the Dark by the Light of Christ-Centered Wisdom. It's like this passage is telling us, these verses are telling us, don't be merely educated or lean on just your own wisdom, but be filled with Christ-centered wisdom. That's point one today, Christ-centered wisdom. Or the second point would be, don't be apathetic about time, but be filled with Christ-centered urgency. That's the second point. Or the third point is this, don't be hasty or, or like godless in your plans for your life, but be filled with Christ-centered direction. That's the third point. 
So those are going to be the three points we're going to go through after I read this passage to you. So let me read it to you, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, so you can see what I've been building up to. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. I'm going to read these verses and say a quick prayer, and we're going to jump into the first point. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Bow with me for a quick prayer. God, we bow before you. We thank you for this morning, this opportunity to gather, uh, to gather with your people, to sing together, to look into your word together, to be challenged, encouraged. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, and we ask that you would help us to understand your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, walking in the dark by the light of Christ-centered wisdom. That's our focus this morning as we sort of walk down these verses, verse 15 through 17. And the first point this morning is Christ-centered wisdom. Not my own wisdom or just my education. Okay? So, look at these verses. Literally, the first command in this verse is look. Look carefully. Again, the idea of light, the idea of, and he's been talking about light in this chapter, and that's why I prepared this for us. He's been talking all about light and how it exposes darkness and how it helps bring light to things and, and the you know, unfruitful works of darkness and all this stuff. And so then he says the word that's appropriate, look. What do you do when you point a flashlight? You look. What do you do when you turn the lights on? Why do you turn the lights on? So you can see, so you can look. So he says here, look, look. But what does he say to look at? Again, this is the point. Look at your own life. Look carefully. And, and note that this word carefully, it doesn't just mean risk avoidance, as we often think of the word careful. Like, you know, you're, you're not sure if you're going to fall, you're riding your bike so carefully, you're being so careful. No, it means be watchful, be methodical. Deliberate, orderly, thorough, alert, attentive, mindful, vigilant, intentional. It's the same word used when King Herod tells the wise men to go look carefully for the newborn Jesus and come back and tell him where to find him so he can go worship him too. You know that story. It's the same word Luke uses of himself when he's announcing and the introduction to the gospel of Luke that he has investigated the life of Christ and the ministry very carefully. He's looked into it carefully, and so now he's writing the gospel. So we are, with that same kind of care, that kind of searching care, we are to look carefully then at how we walk. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Literally, unwise. Ah, sophos. Sophos being the word in Greek for wisdom. Unwise, not wise, but as wise. So what is wisdom? What is wisdom when the Bible says wisdom? Well, true wisdom is something that must be arrived at supernaturally. There is no wisdom apart from God in the equation. 
Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's unwise. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so whatever else a person might know, their education, their own wisdom, things they've learned in their life, their experience, it's only by a right relationship with Christ, fear of the Lord, acknowledgement of the Lord, that all of life can be held together with this kind of wisdom that we're encouraged to have as believers. A good definition, I think, for wisdom from the Bible would be this. Knowledge and fear of the Lord resulting in skillful living. Knowledge and fear of the Lord resulting in skillful living. So not as unwise, but as wise. Where is wisdom to be found? Where are we to find wisdom? God's word points us in some pretty specific directions for wisdom. First of all, in God's word. In God's word. Where would you find God's wisdom? Well, you would find God's wisdom in what he says. Be around him, listen to him, hang out with him, and he'll rub off on you. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Just think about that. One of the results in, of us being in God's word in this new year or in any time is that we would grow in wisdom. And I've begun to really make that a prayer of mine. Like when I study the Bible, it's very tempting as someone who likes to study the Bible, someone who teaches, to always kind of have the, the head steady mindset. And that's good. And you should have that. And, I, and, and, and I'm thankful for that. But also to pray, Lord, as, as I look into your word today, I do want to learn some things. I do want to see some truth. I want to be encouraged by the beauty of scripture. Like, yes, but also, Lord, as I sit with you, listen to you, spend time with you, hear your voice, would you just rub off on me your character, your wisdom? Would you please do that in this time as well? That's important. So where is wisdom to be found? In God's word, also with those who are wise. Proverbs 13.20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So think about that. Who you are saying you want to become has very little to do with who you're becoming. It's who you're spending time with that has everything to do with who you're becoming. Walk with the wise if you want to be wise. And by wise, we mean people who fear the Lord. People who have true wisdom. Which leads really to the last part of where we find wisdom, which is this. And hopefully we would all know the, this answer because it's like a Sunday school answer, but true wisdom is found in Christ. In Christ. So even those who would be wise, those who we would, when we would be walking with the wise, it would be those who point us to Christ. Or who would be the most wise person that we could walk with as we think about applying Proverbs 13 to walk with the wise? It would be walking with Christ. And so wisdom is found in Christ. We're fools apart from 
Christ. We need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. God is not holding back wisdom from you or me or anyone. He invites us to come to Christ, to turn by faith to Christ. And we will never be more wise than we are simply in Christ, who it says in Colossians 2, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Christ-centered wisdom is critical. It's key. Make sure, so again, the big idea here, make sure you really use that light. Yes, go be a light to the community. Be a light on the campus. Be a light in the schools. Be a light to the world in your neighborhood. But shine the light on your own life too with Christ-centered wisdom, not friend-centered wisdom, not Hollywood-centered wisdom, not school-centered wisdom, not my own school of hard knocks, life lessons I've learned-centered wisdom, but Christ-centered wisdom. Second, Christ-centered urgency. Christ-centered urgency. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Literally here, the word is to redeem the time, to buy it back, to buy it before it's gone. So redeeming the time. And now, now make a note of this. Look very carefully at God's word, because sometimes we just read it too quick. Does it say time or the time? It says the time. Making, so this isn't just about time management. This is about managing the time. The time. And that's, that's key. Because this is referring not to the parts, not to the minutes and the hours, but to the whole. Which obviously would include the parts, but this is actually an important point. It's referring to a preset time, an era, a fixed season. It's referring to us managing the time that God has given us. Acts 17 says, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined, do you see it? Allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place. The time, not time. A set time is given by God for your life. I think about growing up playing Nintendo and playing the original Mario Brothers game. And, you know, there's every level, you just have a certain amount of time. And when you start getting to the end, if you waste time, if you decide to go for mushrooms or coins or whatever the things are, the music starts to get really stressful. And you're running out of what? Time. Because there is a specific allotted amount of time. If you have kids, then you know everything is on a timer. Like, can I do this? Can I do iPad? Can I do this? Okay, sure. Set the timer. You have this much time. That's your time. The point is that we've been given time. We've been given time, and we are to make the best use of it. Do you see it says, because the days are evil. I've always heard in this verse, and I've always sort of liked it, but I've never really understood this phrase that clearly. Because the days are evil. That sounds very negative. What does that mean? So pessimistic. Paul says things like this in other places. In Galatians 1.4, he says, this present evil age. 
In Ephesians 2, he says, the course of this world which follows the prince of the power of the air. He's pretty down on this world, the time, the age, all that stuff. What does it mean? Because the days are evil. What it means is what it says. I like this quote from James Montgomery Boyce, a pastor. He says, left to themselves, the days are evil, but they can be redeemed from evil for good by Christian people. And so we are to have a Christ-centered urgency, not be apathetic about our lives or our time or this new year, but to be urgent. That doesn't mean to be anxious and stressed and to never rest. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean to be urgent and intentional and not apathetic. Jesus is the one who said he will come like a thief in the night. Christ-centered urgency. And now last, our third point. Christ-centered direction. Not hasty or godless in life plans. Verse 17, do you see it? It says, therefore... Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All right? Let's let's think about the will of God for a moment. This is a phrase that a lot of people say. A lot of Christians use the phrase, what's God's will for my life, right? This is a phrase that we use. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you see that? God wants us to understand what the will of the Lord is. Christ-centered direction. So look at it. It says, therefore, so there's a connection here. Do you see the, the, the word therefore is connecting verse 17 with verse 16. What it's saying is that people who are urgent, people who have a Christ-centered urgency and realize that they, they've got to be stewards of the time, people who have that are the same people that then ask, well, what is your plan? Because I've only got so much time. I want to make sure I'm doing your plan. You see, they're connected. And so it's therefore, there's a connection. He says, do not be foolish. All right? Do not be foolish. Now, we know we're in Ephesus. We've been studying Ephesus. We saw in the book of Acts that all these people came and they burned their textbooks of sorcery. They burned their cultic uh, books, the, the books in their day that were deemed valuable as to giving wisdom and guidance for people's lives. And they brought those and they burned them and they said, we're Christians now. And so there was a lot of foolishness in Ephesus. And now they're gaining direction, Christ-centered direction. It's the same today. There's a lot of foolishness today. And as Christians, we want to be people that are walking in a dark world by the light of Christ-centered wisdom, Christ-centered direction. So look, let's keep going in this verse. He says, but understand. And one thing about this word understand, you might just just underline it. If you're using, as I would encourage you to, a Bible, a Bible, you know, and and underline in the Bible or get really distracted for five minutes and try to highlight it on your tablet, whatever you want to do. But you can underline this word understand and you can know that this is a command. It's in the present tense. It has the continuous aspect to it. So it's really telling us to be continually understanding the will of the Lord. Not some, it's not a one and done. It's something we're always committed to. Something we're committed to. 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay? God's will. God has a will. The word here is literally the same word as wish, desire, his preference, his will. We have a personal God. God is not just a math equation. God is not just a sort of engineering thesis. We have a personal God who has a personal will. He has a plan. He has a desire, a wish. And we are to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, what is that? What are we to do with that? And that's where I want to spend the remainder of our time, because actually I think I've been kind of waiting to get to this part in the sermon because this is a really important part. How do you know God's will? What does this even mean? So I want to put forward to you, when we talk as Christians about the will of the Lord, I want to put this before you, that in Scripture, when the word or the phrase, the will of the Lord is used, there are at least two ways that it's used. And you have to know which one you're on. Does that make sense? Okay, so here, let me, let me explain. First, let's talk about the sovereign will of God. The sovereign will of God. So I want to give you a definition of that, and it is this. God's predetermined plan for everything that happens in the universe. It is certain, it is detailed, it is hidden, and it is perfect. Okay? That is the sovereign will of God. You say, okay, where do you see that in Scripture? Let me show you. Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Okay? The sovereign will of God. So that's over here. And then we're going to talk in a moment about the moral will of God. All right, And these are not at odds with each other, but you just need to know which one you're on when you're reading the Bible. So the sovereign will of God, let's just, just talk about it for a second. Again, it's the certain, detailed, hidden, and perfect plan of God. You really can't know the sovereign will of God for your life most of the time, except for when you're looking back at your past and you say, well, that must have been the sovereign will of God. Because that's what happened, and he's sovereign. A lot of confusion in the body of Christ comes when we think that Ephesians 5, verse 17, is telling us that we need to understand and know the sovereign will of God for our lives at all times. That every decision in our life needs to be like Moses at the burning bush. That, you know, there's a lot of pressure with this, that you have to find the and marry them. And if you, if you marry someone else's one, then that's messed up because then you're having kids that are not part of the sovereign will of God, and then those kids are not part of the one and the one, and you're just completely messing up the universe. And we, we act like, you know, you got to know the sovereign will of God. you got to figure it out. God is like, he's like, you know, set it up like an Easter egg hunt. And he's sitting there going, you better understand the will of my will. You better go find it. You better figure out the detailed, hidden, sovereign, perfect plan that I have. And if you're not on the dot, 
you're messing things up. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with this and a lot of confusion in the body of Christ. And even as I'm talking about this, some of you are like, man, well, I, I mean, sure, you can make some jokes, Matt, but like some of what you're putting down is actually good stuff. And you sound like you're kind of anti God speaking into our lives or something. Okay, no, no, no. You say, well, what about Moses at the burning bush? What about Paul's vision of the Macedonian man? We saw these things in the scripture. I would say these things are descriptive, not prescriptive. I would say what happens to a few in scripture is not necessarily supposed to happen to all, all the time in life. I would say that these kinds of occasions in scripture are rare. They're at high points in salvation history, and they're about major things, not little preferences. God didn't appear to Moses at the burning bush to tell him what to name his camel. Did he? No. He said, go save my people from Egypt. And so again, with the sovereign will of God, just knowing what that is and kind of having your mind wrapped around that a little bit is important. But now, what about the moral will of God? So I want to introduce that to you for a second. The moral will of God. God's revealed commands in the Bible that teach people how to believe and live. So sometimes when you see the phrase, the will of God in the Bible, it's talking about the sovereign will of God. Sometimes though, and many times, it's talking about the moral will of God. I'll give you an example. First Thessalonians, it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is, do you see it? The will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He said, the moral will of God. It's like, this is God's heart. This is his preference. This is his wish for you. Have you ever been unthankful? You have been, right? So have I. Like multiple times already today. And, and so we have been unthankful. So when we were unthankful, were we outside of the sovereign will of God? No, we're never outside of the sovereign will of God. But this says it's the will of God that we'd be thankful. Do you see what I'm saying? The moral will of God, it's God's desire. It's God's wish. It's God's hope. He wants us to be thankful. So Ephesians 5, now back to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is the moral will of God. So what it is saying here in verse 17 is do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Not, not get all stressed out about finding his perfect detailed plan and get on the dot and never get off of it. No, it's not that. It's understand his will his word, his character, his boundaries for your life, inside of which there are lots of freedom to do things. St. Augustine says, love God and do whatever you want. Because if you're truly loving the Lord, then what you want to do will be in God's will. And so we're talking here about understand the will of the Lord. And so I want to give you, as we wrap up, five practical ways for this new year or any time to attain Christ-centered direction, God's will. So the first one is this, know the Lord. Know the Lord. Think about it. Sometimes we just have to come back to the common sense thing. Knowing the Lord, not being religious, but having a personal relationship with the Lord is step one to knowing the Lord's 
personal will for your life. Hello? The first order of business of God's will for you is that you know Him. That you turn from your way. That you turn from sin and you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and place your faith in Him. And so a practical way to attain Christ-centered direction for your life that we best not pass over and assume is know the Lord. Do you know the Lord? It's a different question than have you been to church or are your parents Christians or are you American, right? Do you know the Lord? Number two, rest in, don't stress about his sovereign will. Rest in, not stress about, his sovereign will. It takes the pressure off. The Lord is not asking you to figure out and uncover all the eternal counsels of his wisdom in his sovereign detailed plan for your life. Rest in his sovereign will. God is sovereign. Number three, be mature in your thinking. And here's what I would say with this. Do not make too much of or too little of your heart's desire or open doors or I have a peace about this or I don't have peace about this. Be mature in your thinking. Don't make too much of things like that because the Bible doesn't even talk about those things. But don't make too little of those things either. I'm not, I'm not saying not to care about that stuff. But, but Moses had no peace about going into Egypt, but that was God's will. And that's often the case. And, and the desires of our heart can mislead us, right? The heart is deceitful above all else, the scripture says. And sometimes an open door is a trap. And so again, we don't want to make too much out of open doors, our heart's desire, and do you have a peace? We don't want to make too much of that but we don't want to make too little of it either. And I do want to say that careful statement because God does lead us by the way he's wired us and given us desires in our heart. He does for sure. There is an importance that we pray over something and have some peace about something. Sure. The peace that surpasses all understanding. Yes. And of course, you know, of course we should definitely want to Go through doors that are open and not try to run through walls. Okay? But be mature in your thinking. So five practical ways to attain Christ's inner direction. Know the Lord, rest in his sovereign will, be mature in your thinking. Number four, ask wise believers in your life. Capital letters, in. Okay? Very important. Because it is the wise believers in your life that both have, number one, wisdom, knowledge of and fear of the Lord and skillful living, but also perspective on your life. Those two things are needed for wise counsel. So often I'll say to someone, did you talk with anyone about this? They're like, yeah, absolutely. I talked with my uh, mentor in Naples, Florida, and he spoke right into this situation. And I'm like, yeah, cool. I mean, praise God for that. But like, is he sitting with you in your small group? Does, does he really know what's going on in your life? And I just think, I would just encourage you, 
practical ways to attain Christ-centered direction in the life of a Christian this year would be to ask wise believers in your life who have both wisdom and perspective on your life. And number five, and, and, and I think just so important, maybe the most important, be in the Word of God. Be in the Word of God. Because God's will is revealed by His Word. God's will never contradicts His Word because God cannot contradict Himself. And so prayerfully, we ought to be making a habit of understanding the will of the Lord by being in the Word of God. Psalm 119 says this, and maybe you've heard this verse before or a long time ago, sang a song inspired by it. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Walking in the dark by the light of Christ-centered wisdom. And so we're about to sing and respond to the Lord and sing the last, I guess, two congregational worship songs together of this year. And as we do that, I want to read to you the final verses, just the three verses after this passage, because it, it, it starts to speak about the importance of, of what we get to do together on Sundays, congregational singing, worship. And so I would encourage you in this year, be a part of a spirit-filled, singing community of followers of Christ. Be committed, be part of it. Look at verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another, out of reverence for Christ. 